The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com, the Yes Network Facebook page, and also iTunes Podcast Network. We're everywhere in front of a live studio audience today. It's Lou DiPietro. It's Chris Sheeran. Um, And I'm just going to refresh my... uh, I just said refresh. I'm going to refresh my Facebook so I could... Um, it's a very millennial podcast. We're both standing here staring at our phones while we talk to you. That's why so did Yes Network change to Yes We Coupon? I have no idea why that just happened. There we are. So let's get into the comments section there. All right. I let's turn the volume off because that's awful. hey uh, Okay. So here we go. Uh, just a little overview of what we're going to discuss today and the first thing i guess is the nfl draft yankee fans we will get to you trust me we will get to you and we will get to the yankees and uh the sweep in boston and losing five straight uh it's it's not pretty right now it's just not i mean there's there's no way to disguise it you know michael case said it on saturday night when he said you can't put lipstick on a pig uh and we're going to get into everything he said and we're going to get into everything this team is about so far this season. and uh, But before we do that, I know I went off on the Giants' first-round draft pick last week. And I know you did your Iggles, so we'll get to your Iggles. The one, the one moment of Carson Wentz goodness. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Eli Apple, Sterling Shepard, Darian Thompson, B.J. Goodson, Paul Perkins, Jarrell Adams. Here's the one thing all those guys do not have in common. None of them protect the quarterback. Besides maybe Jarrell Adams, who's a tight end, and, you know, he could stay in and pass block. But, you know, with the Giants offense, that's kind of useless to uh, take a guy like – and he could be a unicorn, Adams. I was watching film on him, and uh, he's a big dude. He's a big boy. He could do some damage. And he's rated as a blocker, too, which is what the Giants need. Daniel Fells was a blocking tight end last year, but, you know, he had the MRSA and he, he, he left the team and went on IR. Uh, before I go any further, I want to – Greg, come here for a second. Come on. Right. Greg Breton is going to join us. This is the man we talked about last yes, week. Yes, and I was praying for him to come in. Say hello to the people, Greg. Hello, everybody out there. Uh, Greg is not only a huge Giant fan like myself, Greg is also one of the – most intelligent people I know when it comes to the NFL draft. Chris, you're too kind. No, no, I'm, I'm being serious. Uh, Greg was in here every day, and now that he's next to me, I'm going to say it again. I know I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Every day I came in here to tape my Michael K. highlights before the NFL draft, Greg would stand behind the camera, and, and he, he let me fill in the blank. Chris, with the number 10 pick <laughs> in the NFL draft, the New York Giants select. And he'd, and he'd lay out, and he'd let me do the picking. But he would say, Shaq Lawson. I don't think he's going to be there. He was there. So yeah. is Laramie Tunsil. He was there so, for another seven, eight picks I just, before uh, Buffalo got him in 19. You are one of the most passionate Giant fans I've ever met in my life. What did you feel about that Eli Apple pick? Um, I thought with the Eli Apple pick, it was a scenario in which – Essentially, I think they legitimately wanted the tackle Conklin out of Michigan State. He was off the board. 
Right. And now you figure to yourself, okay, he's off the board now. Leonard, the outside linebacker slash DN from Georgia, they're definitely going to take and add to the pass rush. And with that trade that the Chicago Bears did with the Bucks and stealing him, essentially I don't think Reese is lying when he says Eli Apple is probably the best person on their board in terms of, hey, in the second round, third round, or maybe late in the 20s if you were to draft back, would he be a value pick? Yes, but do I think they overdrafted for Eli Apple at the number 10 pick? Yes, but in saying that, we are in a passing league, and you need edge rushers, and you need guys that could cover in the back end. Is it a quality pick? Time will tell, but I think he was just drafted way too high. Very eloquently spoken, Greg, because that's the same exact thing I said last week, but not quite as eloquently as you just And said. we mentioned, too, when we said that Vernon Hargraves went immediately to the next yes, pick with the Buccaneers. Exactly. And they were, the Bucs were like, oh, they, oh, were, yeah. they couldn't fill out that card fast <laughs> exactly. enough exactly. to bring him in. You know, it kind of makes you feel like the Bears called the Bucs and said, hey, look, what are you guys doing? We're going to take a DB. Well, hey, look, you guys have two available. Can we swap and we'll give you um, a later round pick? And they said, fine. And figuring whatever the Giants do, why are they going to walk out of here with Apple or Hargraves? And we're happy with that. And that's what happened. And I'm sure the Bucks in the end got an extra pick and a player that they wanted. Yeah. And at the worst case scenario with that, too, you got to think that, all right, if they had taken Apple because the Giants had taken Hargraves, then taking the third best cornerback on the board would have been, all right, well, they took the one we wanted, so we took the next one on our board. Exactly. It was win-win for the Buccaneers exactly. and lose-lose for the Giants. Yeah. It all worked out. The, yeah. the, the draft, the, the rest of the draft, Greg, Like you said when we were talking today before we did the Michael K highlights, it's not that bad. They they did get depth. They did. Are they they, the Brooklyn Nets? It's not that bad here? (laughs) The Joe Johnson quote of all quotes? (laughs) Um, The rest of the draft graded out, and I I read a lot of reviews on it. You know, the first-round draft pick, not really good uh, in a lot of people's eyes, a lot of experts' eyes. Uh, But as Mark Ross let everybody know, we've heard experts throughout time uh, tell, tell us something about our pick that we just made and they end up being wrong, which is the case and fine. Here's the other thing I wanted to bring up, and this is why I preached offensive line. Um, Eric Flowers, Justin Pugh, Weston Richburg, John Jerry, Marshall Newhouse. Those are your giant offensive linemen, your starters. Eric Flowers last year started 15 games, Pugh 14, Richburg 15. John Jerry started, started eight played in all 16, and Marshall Newhouse played in 14 games. Okay, so no offensive lineman taken. If one of these guys gets hurt, this is what you're dealing with. This is the number twos on the depth chart. This is what scares me, and I know what you're going to say after I say this. Just hear me out. Brent Jones, Canadian Football League, no NFL experience, he was IR'd last September 5th after the Giants signed him with a sprained MCL. No experience. Dylan Farrell was waived by San Francisco. He was on Tennessee's practice squad. He played eight games in 2014. No starts. Played in eight games. Shane McDermott, first year. No NFL experience. Dallas waived him. He was on Carolina's practice squad. New York Giants signed him January 16th this year. Adam Geddes, 14 games, 13 in 2013, it's three years ago, with the Redskins, no starts, won with the New York Giants last year, one game. Bobby Hart, their round seven pick from last year, 
2015, nine games, one start. This is his second year. Five guys, one combined start between them. They are number two on the depth chart. That's scary, Giant fans. And I know what you're going to say. This is what I preface this with. Yeah, but a draft pick doesn't have any NFL experience either. That's true. But when you have a chance to take a perennial all-pro like Tunsil, who for obvious reasons, the Giants didn't get him, character issues, it, you just kind of scratch your head and say, you could have had Eric Flowers and Laramie Tunsil on the same offensive line. And that, to me, I don't know about you guys, when you have Eli Manning for God knows how much longer, don't you want him to be on his feet rather than on his fanny? Ideally. That's sort of the idea, right? I, yeah. We're in a passing league, as Greg said earlier, so you want a passer that can stand up and pass. I, in, in, in my opinion, I think what had happened in the draft with that unfortunate video being released for Laramie Tunsil, because of the timing of it, it was literally released, I think, like, what was it, like 10 or 15 minutes before the yeah, draft started? Yeah, that, that night. And, yeah. and, the, and, the, and when the Giants picked in real time, which was probably closer to 9 o'clock, I don't know if you could trust, hey, my account got hacked. It wasn't me that posted the videos. And you have the time to do the due diligence and make sure that that's actually the truth. And I think that's why a lot of teams basically took Laramie off the board. And he went to Miami because... One hand washes the other. The agent of Laramie Tunsil is also the agent of Adama Kong Su and a lot of players on the Miami Dolphins. And he probably said, look, I will give you a deal. Draft my guy. I'm being completely honest. And you look back the next day, his account was really hacked. It's unfortunate that the Giants didn't have an opportunity to pick a player of that quality, that depth. But like you said, to, to re-illustrate your point, Chris, um, with that offensive line that the Giants have, it's a concern because, you know, although it's a quick passing system, are we ready for the Nassib era? It's, it's a concern, but I also owe the Giants offensive line the starters an apology. Because, you know, after going through the numbers from last year, besides the rushing, which was horrid, especially for a Giants team, it was just horrendous. They were 18th in rushing at just over 100 yards per game, per game uh, in the league. They were 7th in passing, 6th in scoring. The offense put that team in places to win. But our good friend Patricia Trena, she had some numbers. Guest of the show. She had some numbers out there this morning. Do you know the Giants' average drive was two minutes and three seconds? And with a defense as porous as they had last year, and they filled a lot of holes with the draft. That was the point we were trying to make after the, the podcast ended last week. There were just so many holes on this Giant team, it's impossible to try to fill it. In one draft, and I get that. I, I get the defense was last in the freaking league. I understand that, okay? But you need to – if Eli's your bread and butter, if this is what you're going to go with this year with all those number twos on that depth chart, just, just hope. Hope and pray. Everybody stays healthy. T's and P's for everyone on that offensive line. Yeah. Uh, one of our commenters, Luis Lopez II, says, I agree, offensive line is so important, especially for an older Eli. When Eli was in his prime, it was, it, that was important. Now, especially as you guys said, I mean, he's not the, the, not the semi-fleet-footed Eli Manning he was 10 or 5 years ago. He's now in his mid-30s. 
on the you know alleged downslope of his career as any NFL quarterback would be in their 12th, 13th year. Mm-hmm. So, well, here's the other thing, uh, and uh, you know, sitting here doing the Yankees game last night, I did Yankees extra innings when they got swept by the Red Sox. Uh, I look back the last four years, they didn't make the playoffs. The Giants. Nine and seven in 2012. That's the year after they won the Super Bowl. Seven and nine in 2013. Six and ten in 2014. Six and ten in 2015. Twenty-eight and 36. The last four years. Jerry Reese was the architect of those four teams. You can't hide from it. He was. Art Vandelay built better buildings than Jerry Reese built this giant And he team. was a part-time importer-exporter he on was top of being an architect. He was on top of being an architect. So, we got that. Bad joke. But, listen, again, the defense, they gave up 420.3 yards per game. That was dead last. Uh, 121.4 yards per game rushing, ninth worst. And almost 300 yards passing per game. That was dead last. I get it. A lot of holes. But the offensive line scares the bejesus out of me. Right, rightfully so. It's understandable. And, you know, as, as Greg said, you didn't have time to do the due diligence necessarily, but as I mentioned on Friday when we talked about this, you have to wonder if you, the risk you take is the devil you know versus the devil you don't. The devil you know is Laramie Tunsil is a damn good offensive tackle. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to see that. And hopefully when he's getting enshrined into Canton, and you know what, <laughs> Jerry Reese will be in the front And you know row. what, Jets fans in the area, you can take a look at him twice a year. Yeah, indeed. You know, because yeah, the indeed. Jets, they'll, they'll, they'll be on TV at least twice a year, if not more. New England, if you live in Connecticut, four times, because you'll get to see the New England games, too, on Channel, uh, channel 3. So, All right, do you have anything on your Eagles? And I know you have to get going because you have the Michael K. show to, to deal uh, with. Thank you for the opportunity. But this is Greg Breton. He's a, a tremendous NFL fan and he, very knowledgeable about the mm-hmm. draft and everything else. He works here. Yes, he's on the Michael K. Show. That that show is uh, starting. He has to get the heck out of here. Make the request for me, guys. I'll be willing to come on and be the, the Stephen A. The I'm not a guru, <laughs> but an aspiring, you know, guest guest on the show every week. All right. Our NFL draft and other topics expert, Greg You're, not, Baton, you're Greg B. <laughs> exactly. You're not Greg Stephen B. A. Request for Greg B. Greg B. Take it easy, everybody. Uh, Greg B. From Stanford. You're on the line. <laughs> so, uh, how did you? Feel? Um, how did you feel? So about the Eagles said they, they ended up with eight picks after all the trades. They, obviously, Carson Wentz. They drafted a guard in the first round, um, third round, excuse me, on day two. Um, they think he can step in right away and start. Uh, he's can play all throughout the line. That's been a hallmark of the Eagles' offensive line over the years: is guys that can move and swing out anywhere. Uh, they gra- grabbed the tackle out of TCU in the fifth round as well, and uh, Wendell Smallwood from West Virginia in the fifth round, who's the Big 12 leading rusher last year. So the Eagles did pretty well with a guy named Brian Westbrook, who was a little unheralded. Yeah, uh, yeah, they did. Unheralded guy, so who knows. Uh, a lot of defense late, uh, a couple of DBs. They took Alex McAllister out of Florida, who's a big project. Good luck with that one. Halapula vati vati vati. Not going to work here anymore anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um you know, Jalen Mills from LSU is a four-year starter, but like Tunsil, he's got some off-field issues, so maybe he can help out. The Eagles needed help in the secondary big time. They grabbed uh, they grabbed him and Blake Countess from Auburn, a couple of SEC corners uh, in the late rounds. So overall, are you happy? Are you are you satisfied with with your selections? They drafted a lot of depth guys in the in the later rounds. I mean, they had you know with all the trades, they had number two, and then they didn't have a pick until '79, and then they had two fives, a six, and three sevens. You got to look for value picks at that mm-hmm. point. 
they got guys who fit what they need. You know, DeMarco Murray gone. Uh, Smallwood could step right in and maybe play a role. He's a similar type of back as, as a Matthew Sproles kind of mold. Less DeMarco Murray. That could help out. Like I said, they needed DBs. Um, they got a couple. They got uh, McAllister, who's a project. But when you're switching defenses, sometimes a project works out. They got a lot of value picks. We'll see. I don't expect any of them to be pro bowlers in year one, two, three, or even ten if they last that long. But as long as Carson Wentz hits, that's all that this draft is going to matter anyway. For so. those of you who are new to this podcast, I'm Chris Sheeran. I host the, the batting practice show, Nets pre and post game. Uh, the Yankees Extra Innings Show. I fill in for Meredith Morakovitz at the stadium uh, from time to time. Uh, I fill in for Bob. I fill in for pretty much everybody here at the network. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people asking in the chat room right now why we're talking about football. Well, Lou DiPietro, who, uh, what, what is your proper title? I don't want to. Uh, web content editor. Web content editor for yesnetwork.com. He has been doing this podcast with me for how many? Oh, uh, we're about a year and a half. We're uh, 80 or so episodes deep. A year and a half. Almost 100 episodes with Lou. And we talk about everything. I got to count again. Yeah. I well, got to count again. Get so on we know, that. We know, when the, we know when the 100th you celebration You should know these be. things. But uh, Lou and I have been doing this now, as he said, for like a year and a half. We talk about everything. We talk about baseball. We talk about football. We talk about basketball. Uh, the major stories in all sports. And I know this is the... Yes Network Facebook page, and everybody wants us to talk about the Yankees, and we're getting there. Uh, we're there. We're talking yeah. about the Yankees. We do a little bit of everything right on this now. podcast. This yeah. may be the Yes Network, and the Y in Yes stands for Yankees, obviously, and the Brooklyn Nets, New York City Football Club are our three you know, premier uh, topics because they're the three teams we cover. But we do a little bit of everything because, well, you need to. You need to, you need to adapt to survive. You want to be dicks, not sports authority. You need to adapt to exactly. survive. I didn't know where you were going with that, but yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> moving on. Excellent. <laughs> well played. Kind of piqued my interest there. For Sorry, me. I didn't do the, yeah. I didn't do, I didn't do the, the politician. Yeah, we need to adapt. Yeah, yeah. We need to survive. All right. <laughs> this dead air brought to you by, uh, well, let, let's. At 3 o'clock in 51 seconds. Uh-huh. Steve Summers, ladies and gentlemen. All right. The, the Yankees uh, are. They're, let's face it, they're one loss away from the same record that Durham Bulls had in Bull Durham when their manager went into the shower and scared the hell out of the players. Larry, what's our record? 8-16. Eight and 16. Yeah, the Yankees are 8-15 and 15 as we sit here right now. They, they're going down uh, the road to Baltimore right after Boston now. They're, they have three down there in Baltimore uh, to wrap up their nine-game road trip. And then back home for the Sox part due. Look, it's not, it's not pretty. It's not good. There, there's no way to sugarcoat what this team is going through right now. None. You know, the only thing you have positive coming out of last night was that Alex Rodriguez and Jacoby Ellsbury, they seem to wake up a little bit. But the microcosm of how awful the start of this season is is that David Price started that game last night. The Yankees scored seven runs in a game where David Price started. And lost. And lost. That has to be tough to take for anybody. You know, Michael Kay, back on Saturday night, it was on, the game was on WPIX. Yeah, Channel 11. And he came out of commercial break, and he just read them the riot act. And I can't say that I disagreed with him. He said, look, you can't put lipstick on a pig. They look old. They look slow. Uh, they can't hit. 
This is, of course, before they had the nine hits and the seven runs Sunday night against the Red Sox. But look, if the Yankees were, you know, the, the pig in Charlotte's Web by E.B. White, the classic uh, children's book and movie, by the way, which uh, starred, um, what's his face from the center square, Paul Lind. He was the rat. I was going to say, I'm sure you've seen it in or read the book a few times, knowing that you have two small children. Oh, I, I saw, it, I saw yeah. it way before my kids came into the picture. But the whole premise of that movie was that Charlotte, the spider, Wilbur the pig, they lived on the same farm, and Charlotte would put, she would spin words into the web. Uh, one was radiant, one was humble, uh, then she put some pig, and then the other one was, uh, did I say radiant? Yeah. Radiant, humble, terrific, and some pig. If the Yankees are that pig that Michael K says you have to put the lipstick on, Charlotte would be spinning a web that says free bacon. I mean, that's how bad it is right now. It's just, you can't hide it. And I get everybody's vitriol for this team right now. But the one thing I can't stand, and the one thing, and I have to argue with my dad about this too, the people who want to fire Joe Girardi. I, I, I don't get it. There's plenty of them commenting as, I'm, as I, I scroll through our I, Facebook well, I'm feed not today, even, too. I, I'm not looking at that right now, but I don't get it. Where is it Joe Girardi's fault? He took Yvonne Nova out of the game. Dylan Batances comes in last night and throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and it was in a little bit. And Vasquez just, I mean, he guessed fastball, he guessed where to swing, and he pulverized the damn thing. I'm not taking anything away from Vasquez. It's his first home run since last September and his second of his career, for crying out loud. So you could see where Della Batances would come in the game, see this guy, and say, well, I'm just going to challenge him with a fastball and, you know, roll the dice and see what happens. He lost the battle. I think... I think Joe Girardi's expression in the dugout when the camera panned to him after Vasquez hit that homer and rounded the bases said more than any words he could have said in any post-game press conference. Batances comes in, gives up the homer, Vasquez rounds the bases, they take the lead, and they, they shoot to Girardi in the, in the dugout, and he's just like this. That look of, like, even that didn't work. But my point, but my point, the whole thing, that whole soliloquy that I went through was mm -hmm. the fact that if he leaves Nova in the game, and that same thing happens... He's crucified. He's, he's crucified then, too. The guy is damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. It's okay. not his fault this team can't hit. It's not. Now, look, the only thing you have a leg to stand on with, an argument in my eyes, it's just my opinion, and everybody knows what they say about opinions, but this is my opinion. Maybe a new voice. Maybe the team needs it. He's been there since 2008. You know, I don't know. You hear it all the time in sports all over the place. He's lasted, what is this, his ninth year? 2008 was his first, so 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, ninth year. Ninth year with the team. I happen to believe in Joe Girardi. I happen to think this guy is not a good manager. He's a great manager. Sometimes does he overthink things? Yes, but he knows more about baseball in his pinky than most of these people that are cutting them down knowing their entire bodies. He tries to push buttons. He tries to get things to go the right way. You think he's managing to lose these games? Absolutely not. He knows the pressure that he's under. He knows the pressure yeah. that this team is under. The whole organization. They don't want to lose. They want to win. The guy has to try different lineups to try, especially now. In the seven games before that Red Sox game last night, the Yankees scored 12 
12 total runs. 12. Going into last night, and this is hard to do as an American League team, they had the least amount of runs scored in the majors. In the majors. They had 74. Tampa Bay was next up at 77. They have now surpassed Tampa. They're not in the basement anymore. But God almighty, they got to start that's, hitting. That's how you lose five in a row, seven of 10, 13 of 18. I mean, look, there, there is the possibility, as you said, maybe a new voice. You know, you reach a, a critical mass where this is what we are, and to change it, we need to make a shakeup. Maybe that's true. But here's a, here's a very... I don't know if damning is the right word, statistic, that I, that I was going through. The Yankees are 2-5-1 and one in their eight series this year. Mm-hmm. The one was the split in Detroit where the third game was rained right. out. Snowed out, actually, in Detroit. Um, so you look at the teams they've played. They've played eight different teams this year. They haven't played anybody twice yet. Boston this weekend will be the first. Look at the results of those series and then take away that team's, you know, the Yankees got swept by Boston, so take away three wins from Boston and look at their record. This is a year of major parity in Major League Baseball, especially in the American League. The Red Sox are 15-10. and 10. They're 12-10 and 10 if you take away the Yankees. Toronto is 12-14. and 14. They won two out of three. They're 10-12, and 12, or 10-13, and 13 against teams other than the Yankees. Tampa Bay, same thing. They're 11 and 13. They lost two out of three to the Yankees. They're 10 and 11 against teams other than the Yankees. Detroit, one and one, kind of, kind of a wash. Texas, 14 and 11. Seattle, 13 and 11. The Yankees lost two out of three to both. Oakland is a 500 team that swept the Yankees. Houston is 8 and 17, and that's one of the series the Yankees won. They're not beating teams that are any good. So even their eight wins are mostly against teams that are mediocre to average teams. Somebody has to come out of that. And, you know, despite the fact that three or four of the games were blowouts, that Heat Hornet series went seven, and it kind of underscored the, the anybody can win any given day. When you're playing teams that are 12 and 10, 10 and 13, 10 and 11, 12 and 10, 11 and 10, you need to win the majority of those games to be a good team. The breaks will eventually go your way, yes, but... You have to win those games. Otherwise, you look back at it, and, and we'll look back on it and go, well, you know, oh, a couple years ago, they, they were 2-4 and four against Houston and missed the playoffs by three games. That's a series you look back on, a season series you look back on and say, well, if we could have only beaten the Astros, we would have been in the playoffs. Well, look at it now. It's if we only beat anybody, they'd be a much better team. Well, here, here's their numbers, and, and I did this for all of you. Going into last night, 24th in the majors in average, 233 team average. That probably went up maybe a tick after last night. 203 with RISP, second worst in the majors. By the 30th. Way. Within that. 30th, and this is no surprise, dead last in the league in RBI. Uh, if you're not scoring runs, you're not getting any RBI, so that doesn't really shock anybody. Tied for 19th with the Marlins in home runs. They were dead last in doubles before last night. 29th in extra base hits. That's second to last. 30th, as I mentioned, in runs scored with 74, but they moved into 29th past the Rays. 28th. This is something. 28th in strikeouts. They don't strike out. 
Only, a, only a couple of guys have high strikeout totals. But on base, they're 23rd. Slugging, they're 28th. And OPS, they're 27. 670 OPS is second worst in the American League. And as you said, 27th, 28th overall in the league. Uh, rotation ERA, which is 5.16, is the worst in the American League. Take out Tanaka, who's at a 287 ERA and five starts, and it's literally almost six, 5.99. Which means that four out of every five days, their starters are giving up to the tune of six runs per game. Even when they only go five innings, that's still a good chunk of runs per game they're giving up. My, my buddy Mike Tita from South River, New Jersey. Hi, Mike. Uh, he just had an idea for the Yankees. Well, he also said he comes cheap if he wants the Jets want or the Giants want to start him this year, too. So well, yeah. I saw some earlier comments in the thread. I can't wait for this one. Yeah, he said clone Jeter and Mariano. Now, I don't know if we're there yet scientifically, but... Couldn't hurt. I think even Mariano, was he now, 44, 45? Put him in that bullpen. He's probably still got the ability to throw that cutter and, well, that, and mow see, down some guys. People had an issue with putting Batantis in the game. The bullpen's not the problem. And then people had an issue with Batantis himself. It was the first time in his career, and it's a short career so far, small sample size, that he gave up home runs in three straight appearances. Okay. Let me rewind you back to 2007. Mariano Rivera gave up nine runs in three and two-thirds innings from April 15th to April 28th. That was a 22, plus 22 ERA. That was the year, I don't know if you remember, uh, that game out in Oakland, he gave up the grand slam to Marco Scudero. And mm -hmm. I love how, Marco Scudero, Mike, Marco Scudero. Uh, Who was not the Marco Scudero of the last no. full year of his career at no, that point. No, no, no. No, no. no he was light Utility infielder right. deluxe. Right, and I remember Mike Medvin coming back from a yes party on the bus laughing about the Grand Slam and the Yankees losing. But anyway, I digress. The rest of the season, Mo threw to a 2-2-6 ERA. I'm not worried about Dylan Batances. I'm just not. I'm not worried about the back end of the bullpen. They'll be fine. Even what everybody needs to worry about, I'm sorry. Nope. I was going to say, even Girardi said it last night, that that's the least of their worries. Is getting to the back of the bullpen. And Alex Rodriguez said it after the game to Mark Feinsand. I would assume that was the Mark he was talking to of the New York Daily News. When Mark asked him a question, he said, if we so score six or seven runs and with our back end of the bullpen, we're going to win a lot of games. It's true. Last night wasn't one of them. Against David Price. That's what makes it so hard to take. You know, and I get Yankees fans' frustrations. I see all the comments here. I get it. I get it. They're not going to rush and rush Aaron Judge up here. They're not going to put him in right. We're going to do a Carlos Beltran. And you, can't, you don't want to put Aaron Judge on a bench and have him not get at bats. You don't want him to become Dustin Ackley up here. That's, that, that's going to be a detriment to his career. Here's something that Yankee fans, maybe you don't want to hear it, okay? But it's something that has to happen. If this team... And it might not happen. You know what? They could turn it around. They could start it, it, that Red Sox last game Sunday night. If you're the eternal optimist, mm -hmm. which I know none of you are, and, and that's okay. It, it's okay to be upset. I'm not telling you you shouldn't be upset. You should be. This is your team. But you're talking to a guy or you're watching a guy, two guys, that lived through the 80s and the early 90s. You want to talk about struggling with your baseball team? That was struggling with your baseball team. Ed Whitson, Eric Plunk, 
Andy Hawkins. The tagline of the 1988 Yankees being pride and power, and they had none of either Listen, at that point. If I can get through 1982 to 1985, I can get through this, standing on my head. It's like, uh, uh, who was the guy with the white hair and the Sopranos? Paulie. Paulie. How come I blanked on that? He was talking to Christopher. It's like one of these little asides, and he said, you know, all these killings, you know, there was no hell. Well, what do you think? Purgatory for like 7,000 years? I could do that standing on my head. I can do this standing on my head. This is no problem. I know Yankee fans want to win the World Series every year. It's not realistic. It's great to, to, to go out there and put that mentality out there. That's not realistic for it's any baseball realistic. team. No, no, it's not realistic for any sports team on the planet. There's, there's one commenter in our, in our feed right now, uh, Philip Kriske, I believe is his name. I hope I said that right. Sorry if I did not. Uh, you know, asking should the Yankees fire Cashman along with your Girardi thing. Uh-huh. He's done nothing irrelevant in years. Trade top prospects for one-hit wonders is Phillip's comment. Uh, thanks for the comment. Um, I, I would say no on that only because you look, at, you look at the teams that have been, for lack of a better word, lean over the last few years. I've mentioned this several times on this podcast in the last few months. This is a team and this is a general manager that's gone out and had to use Brent Lillibridge, Luis Cruz, David Adams, Lyle Overbay, Ben Francisco, Brennan Bosch, Vernon Wells, Thomas Neal, Alberto Gonzalez. I could keep naming guys who would make up a fantastic all-star team in the International League that have played significant minutes, as they would say in basketball, Mm -hmm. for the Yankees in that 2013 season, and they still won more games than they lost. So that's the true measure of a manager and a general manager is what you can do with that. Like, like we said, I don't, it might have been like our first yeah. podcast up here. They had no business yeah. winning in the yeah. 80s when they did with all those injuries. No, and it's, it's None. not, it's not Brian. I mean, yes, the, the contracts may be, may be difficult or, you know, whatever you may want to call them for some of the players. It's not Brian Cashman's fault that Chase Headley is dead last of 198 qualified players in Major League Baseball and slugging percentage making $52 million on this contract. It's not his fault. It's not his fault that Jan Hervis Salarte has been more helpful to the Padres than Chase Headley has to the Yankees since that trade. It's not his fault. Chase Headley was a great player. In he San was Diego. a great player. We Chase Headley was a pretty good player last year offensively, at the least Yankees, the defense aside. The Yankees did not get the guy that was in San Diego. No, I, I have some numbers on, on Headley because he's Go ahead, he's very much me. part of the, of the issue, especially lowering the lineup. And a lot of people are... are the, 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 the lynch mob for Chase Headley is out in, in oh, it's full out. force. Uh, but our good friend James Smythe, that's Smythe here, not Smith. Uh, Ding. This is Doubtfire. This is Doubtfire. Uh, tweeted this out the other day as the, the month came to a close and turned to, to May yesterday. Since 1920, minimum 65 plate appearances. The Yankees' lowest slugging percentage through April is owned by Chase Headley, who slugged 148 in April. He was a 399 career slugging percentage. As of right now, with that bad month, his career slugging percentage was still almost 400. He's only 31. He turns 32 next week. Unexplained. What's going on? The, the other, the other, the other members of the top five. Mm-hmm. 1973, Roy White, 176 slugging percentage. He hit 246 that year with 18 homers, slugged 374, had a 404 career slugging percentage, and that was his age 29 season. So a blip on the radar. 
Gene Michael, 179 and 74. Stick had 177 at-bats that year. He was 35 years old, and he retired the next year. He was a backup utility infielder at that point. 1970, Jerry Kenny, one of my Uncle Tony's favorite players of all time, uh, 183 slugging percentage. That year he hit 193, but stole 20 bases, had a bad slugging percentage, but he was young. He was 24. It was early in his career. And the fifth one is Snuffy Sternweiss, which was a complete outlier because this is the guy that was third in the MVP voting and led the league in OPS the year before. Snuffy. And had a bad... So the common thread there is that outside of Roy White, who just... Who knows what happened in that April? The other guys on that list are older or younger utility infield types. And then there's Chase Headley, who's making $13 million to play a corner position. This is like- that's why, that's why the, the uproar is so big. This is not a guy... This isn't Alvaro Espinosa. This isn't Eric Almonte filling in for Derek Jeter in 2003 when he broke his shoulder. This is a guy they signed to be a cornerstone player. Yeah. And he slugged 148. He's 10 for 64 this year. It's a 156 average. Doesn't have an extra base hit. 15 Ks. The Chicago Cubs starting rotation has 10 hits. Oof. That's perspective. Including a home run and two doubles for Jason Hamill. The home run is Arietta's. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I it's mean, not I, I'm not, I'm not trying to demean the man, obviously, but the numbers don't lie. The Cubs starting rotation is 10 for 51 with a homer, two doubles, eight RBIs, three walks, and 21 Ks. It's a better line than Chase Headley, who hits seventh more often than not. Yeah, it's, it's not a good start for him. No. And uh, the, the uh, venom in this chat room right now for Chase Headley is... Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's not very good. He was a terrible sign. Last year he was having trouble making a throw from third to first. Mm-hmm. Come on. that's And I hope I'm saying this right. If I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, Lino Isabel or Lino Isabel, I just don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, I, I get it. And, mm-hmm. you know, Lou and I, when we did this podcast down in my office, and uh, or actually this was in the hurricane room. In the, <laughs> in the bunker? <laughs> yes. When we did the podcast in the bunker, we talked about this. And I fought Lou on the signing. I did. But Lou was correct in the fact at the time the market price was exactly what the Yankees gave Chase Headley. But the market pri- – I mean, he is way below market right now for the contract that he signed. And he, he, he has plenty of time to turn it around, not saying that he can't do it. Yep. I don't know if it's the yips. I don't know if it's like a tin cup situation. Well, that's the question. Will it be one bad month like Roy White had in 73, well, or will it be the beginning of the end? He got off yeah. to a slow start last year, and he you know, turned it around. But this is Chase Headley's, what is it, the second and a half year he's been Second here? and a half, yeah, because he came over in, in, in July. Yeah. But he has, so this, these, this is the notes, and I'm just going to read it verbatim because it's, it's easier. Dead last in slugging, as I said. The next lowest slugging percentage in Major League Baseball is Eric Ibar, slugging 198. And Eric Ibar will never be confused be confused for Miguel Tejada in the no. batter's box. No, no. Uh, 197th of 198 qualified players in OPS. Uh, Eric Ibar's is 377, but he has more at-bats. But bottom line is Eric Ibar is pretty bad offensively, too, but the Braves don't care because the entire team is bad. Yeah. Uh, three Yankees have higher slugging percentages than Headley's OPS. That's a little. That's a little telling. Now let me ask. And you he that. has two RBIs, both of which came in the opening series against Houston. So he's not creating runs. Do you even bench him? Do you bench him and replace him with Torres? 
on a, on, a, on a nightly basis. I mean, when, give him when, a couple days off. When's the cutoff that you know enough is enough? He's hurting the team. You're running him out there. I mean, again, we're at the beginning of May. I didn't I didn't look up his splits, so I don't know his splits off the top of my head. But if you're not facing a left-handed pitcher, where you know the right-handed batter would be an advantage, and you know he might fill in for Gregorius or something. If you're facing a righty, where everyone's going to be batting, um, you know, left-handed if they're a switch hitter. Who knows? Uh, Torres is 9 for 24 with two extra base hits and two RBIs. So, I mean, he's basically produced at the same level as Headley in a third of the of the plate appearances. Even if you combine them in a platoon with Ackley, they're 10 for 40. Here's what Yankee fans so, never want to hear. But And if you don't want to hear it now, cover your ears. I'm just giving you an opportunity. And this is what I was trying to get to, but people who listen to this podcast know that, you know, I go down this – I go down a road – and then I make tangents off that road, and I just miss my point that I'm trying to get to completely because I start thinking of other things, and it's just the way my brain works. But the Yankees have the most no-trade clauses in contracts in the major leagues. They have seven, seven no-trade clauses. The next closest team is the San Francisco Giants with four. However... If the Yankees are, and I know you don't want to hear this, I, I, re, I know you don't, if they are, oh my God, out of contention around the trade deadline, if they are 15 to 20 games out of first in the AL East, here's a list of the guys that they can spin to other teams. However, they have no trade clauses. Brian McCann. Somebody might need a catcher. He's under contract till 2018. He'd be the easiest of the bunch to move of this group, too, by the way, so keep that in mind. Alex Rodriguez is going nowhere. No one's taking his contract for the next one and a half years because it would be from July on and then next year as well. So forget about Alex Rodriguez. Mark Teixeira, he's done this year. Somebody might need a first baseman and a switch-hitting first baseman at that. That's a possibility. Jacoby Ellsbury. Does he turn his season around? Is, is last night a, a thing of, you know, is that a sign of him starting to turn the corner? Or are we going to see this, you know, pretty much mediocre play from him that, he's, that he was in April, all of April? We'll see. Carlos Beltran, again, no trade, but this is a contract year for him. Does Kansas City need a veteran bat? Does he want to go back to the Royals? Does he want to go back to the Astros? Who knows? Uh, CC Sabathia, he's not going anywhere. No one's taking that ginormous contract, and he has a player option for next year. Tanaka's under contract till 20, and he's your best starting pitcher. Even even he's if, not even if he anywhere. takes his opt out, even if you know he's going to take his opt out, no, he's not going. Yeah. Anywhere. So, like I said, McCann's the easiest to move because everyone else is either a rental, a short contract without results, or a really long contract. It's but, one of those three. But this is the time. McCann's in the middle. This is the time, especially with this team. If these guys like Tex and Ellsbury and Beltron are doing well at that time. And I left out two guys. They don't have no trades, Andrew Miller or Oldest Chapman. And I said it on this podcast, and if you don't believe me, go back and listen to it. Because when the furor was going on, when Cashman signed him and brought him in, I said, hey, this guy, if he doesn't get suspended for more than 46 games, he's out of the Yankees' control. This is his free agent year. doesn't mean he's going to stay here. Brian Cashman used his noodle. 
No one else went out and got him. He didn't get him for a lot, okay? He basically stole him from the Reds in that trade. Yep. And at the trading deadline, don't tell me, do not tell me, a, comp- a team that's competing for a division title to get to the World Series, to make a deep run in the playoffs, if Chapman's on the table, don't tell me there's a team out there in Major League Baseball that's not going to want that guy. Andrew Miller, too. He's on the table, too. And the Yankees could spin them into something where they could build. They need to replenish. I talk to people at their minor league level. The starting pitching is hurting down there. If they're out of contention in July, those two guys, especially Miller and Chapman, are guys that you could spin and bring back some of that talent to feed into your minor leagues. Yep, and we looked it up actually thinking, uh, I, was, I was talking with a couple of guys when I was in Lakewood last week, looking at the guys that were, were traded to the Reds for a role Chapman. And first off, you want to speak about character issues, that whole, you know, what Chapman got suspended for in the first place. Brian Cashman decided that the juice is hopefully going to be worth the squeeze, and we'll see what happens when he comes back. He's due back next Monday, no matter how many games get gone between now and then. But Eric Gigailo is hitting 180 in double-A. Tony Renda's in double-A. Rookie Davis is having an okay season, and Caleb Cotham is in the Reds' bullpen. Those four guys right now, but, you know, there you go. That, that was worth it. Now, Rookie Davis is one of those guys, as you said, the starting pitching is hurting down in the minors. Would it be nice to have him? Sure. But it could be better to have Chapman and see where it goes and the one, three months from now. And the one big chip that we talked about in our debut on Facebook Live, James Caprellian. It's on the DL. It's on the DL. And it was elbow. It was related to his elbow. So Lord knows what that's Jacob gonna... Lingard's up at D- Tampa DL, too. There's a lot of elbow, elbow issues going on down there. But here's an interesting thing that you mentioned we, we mentioned this. There's a, uh, the commenter in our section here, and let me get this person's name. Hunter Kufta mm-hmm. uh, says we should trade Dustin Ackley, Ivan Nova, and Carlos Beltran for the Marlins for possibly one of their starting pitchers. That's a lot easier said than done. But the question, do you think we should trade for another pitcher? We mentioned the ERAs. Severino, who's pitching Tuesday in the Baltimore opener, yeah, is the, the, opener. the biggest defender of the bunch, and you wonder if maybe he needs to go down and be part of the pitching depth for but now. what does that do to his head if they, well, if they send him down there? You have to learn how to win. You have to learn how to lose, too. Who knows? But here's, here's an interesting and bizarre set of two anecdotes. We talked about the Yankees. They score six runs and can't win because Evaldi flirts with a no-hitter one start and gets bombed the next, this and that. Uh, this weekend... Uh, Anthony Swarzak, who's one of the Yankees' signees, non-roster invite to spring training. He's down starting in AAA. Eight innings, one run, five hits, one walk, five Ks. 70 of 103 pitches were strikes. That was a complete game, one nothing loss. Josh Rogers, who was the Yankees, I believe, 11th or 13th round pick last year, uh, lefty out of Louisville. Eight innings, one run, eight hits, one walk, nine Ks. 73 of 98 pitches were strikes. That was for Tampa. They lost. Two nothing. So you know what things happen. Sometimes you pitch great and you lose. Sometimes you pitch terrible and you win. Sometimes you do both. But you know a guy like Swarzak. I mean, could he do that at the major league level? Sure. Could Tyler Olson do that if he stretched out? Maybe. Could Luis Sessa do that once he stretched out? Maybe. Could Ivan Nova do that? Maybe. You kind of have to evaluate what you have internally first. And if Severino needs to go down and get his head on straight for a couple of starts, maybe manage his workload, work on a few things, maybe that's the answer. We'll see and how what, he does in Baltimore tomorrow night. But and It was weird because I saw Phil Coke started. They brought Phil Coke back. 
Well, he was stretched out. He was starting in the Atlantic League. He was so starting he was stretched in out. Yeah, he was okay, starting for so, Lancaster. All right, so he started the other night. Five innings, seven strikeouts, yeah. uh, three hits, I believe, uh, no runs. So, could Phil Coke do that? Who knows? Who knows? But you have to you have to evaluate what you have internally, especially on May second. All right, I want to bring up a couple of things from last night. All right, and then we got to go into our uh, we got to go into our project from I last week. I didn't do. The division. No, that's fine. I, I, did, I, I just I did, did to mess around to figure out where expansion would be. Best. I did teams, but I'll do this really quick. Can, can we stop with exit velocity? Can, 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 we, can we stop? Now we have launch angle. Hard hit percentage. The, these are two things I saw on the broadcast last night, and this is not a dig at ESPN. I, I know this is basically where everything is going with advanced metrics and everything, but, but if the ball goes over the fence... That's all I need. That's all I need. I don't need. I, I don't need to know how fast it was going. It, it's like the scene in Major League. It was too high. Who gives a? It's gone. Exactly. I don't need launch angle. I don't need all this like mumbo. If there's a home run hit, good enough for it's me. Its exit velocity was fast enough to get it out. Good enough for me. That ball that Vasquez hit over the Sports Authority sign over the monster. Think Dallin Batanzas cares about the exit velocity? No. Cares about the two runs that scored. Anyway, that was one that was one takeaway. Sports authority us. sign will be changing real soon. Yeah. Unfortunately um here's for them. here's here's my take on this, and we can have a great conversation with David Cohen about this, because David is very sabermetrically inclined, is the phrase I'll use to describe it. I don't know how else to say it. There's a lot of advanced analytics, sabermetrics in terms of stats that you look at and it's like Okay, this is very useful for X. Exit velocity. Mm -hmm. Is it useful? Sure. This guy's hitting the ball hard, but he's hitting it right at people, or this or that. Like, That's for, and, and I believe the word that someone we know used was eggheads and nerds who are analyzing the game. That's for guys in the front office, analytics guys, things like that. That's great for them. I don't care. Yeah, but As a fan, I don't care. What do you get? Out of, exit, v, out of exit velo? Out of exit velo. Again, like I said. Because it has everything to do with the with who's pitching. Right. And it has everything to do also with factors that you can't control. So here's a hypothetical example. It's like a baby. It already has a nickname. It's not exit velocity. It's exit velo. Here's a hypothetical example. What was that exit okay. velo? Give me a break. Chase, we'll go back to Chase Headley. Say Chase Headley has amazing exit velocity on his hits, uh, on his batted balls but he's hitting 150. All right, you look at that and go, well, he's hitting the ball hard. He's just hitting it right at people. So if things go, you know, he moves a little bit, this, that, whatever, it can be good. If the guy's exit velo stinks and he's hitting like Ray Ordonez, he's Ray Ordonez. <laughs> so that's something for the general managers, the analytics team, the video coordinators, everybody involved in that process to make decisions. As a fan, I don't really care about that. Think about my job and think about your job. Think about my job as a web content editor. I write a story. I know how much research goes into it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to tell you what my log time was on Baseball Reference or what you know the, the cash clearing time on MLB's website, uh, CMS, so that it gets up on our website was. You don't care about that. You care if I wrote a good article or not. Yeah. There's a lot of tricks of the trade that are very useful for the people who are using them that don't mean a, a hill of beans to anybody outside that circle. And those are two of them. I don't get it. 
<laughs> I'm kind of like Tom Hanks in the movie. Those Bake. are two of them. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying they're useful, I, but I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. They're useful to the people who need them to be useful, but most but people don't care about so them. So you're telling me exit velocity is is important to general managers and, and analytic. I'm people. not necessarily saying it is. I'm saying I can see where this is important. I can see why okay. to someone that's an important right. part of job performance. I don't okay. see why we need to I'm care not, about I'm it. I'm not making fun yeah. of you either. No, I'm saying I, I agree with you. I'm just saying. I agree with you, and I, I don't see it. the need why we need to care about it. Uh, before we get to our new divisions and everything, yeah. as I was watching the game last night, there is a – it's an uncomfortable love affair with David Ortiz. With David Ortiz to me. Although Aaron Boone's David Ortiz uh, – did you see the yeah, Aaron Boone? That, I, that, was, that was good. Uh, the Boone da, dang – I don't know what the hell it is. But anyway, so I, I did some digging last night. And Sports Illustrated before this season came out with their top 10 DHs of all time. And I'm not going to bore you with all of these numbers. Uh, but number 10 was Brian Downing. Chili Davis was 9. Hal McRae was 8. Don Baylor was 7. Jim Tomey, or as my cousin Cheech and I called him, Thome. James Thome. Uh, he was 6. Paul Molitor was 5. Uh, Harold Baines was 4. David Ortiz is 3. Frank Thomas, 2. And, of course... The guy who the award's named after. Edgar Martinez is one. Um, But most of these guys, just two of these guys, were 39 their last season in the league. Those two guys were Chili Davis and Don Baylor. Chili hit 269 with 19 homers and 78 ribbies. He was with the Yankees that year. Don Baylor, and he played. They may or may not have won a World Series that year as well. Yeah. I'm going to give you a hint. They did. And Chili played in 146 games. Don Baylor played in 92 games, and it was in 1988, 227 homers, 34 ribbies. Okay, the rest of the guys uh, either ended their career at 40 or went on to play 41, 42, so on. But I took their 40th year because Ortiz is 40 this year. The guys that were 40, the two highest averages out of those guys were the four and five members on this top ten. Harold Baines in 1999 played 135 games, batted 312, hit 25 homers, and drove in 103 runs. Paul Molitor, 1997, played 135 games, batted 305, 10 home runs, 89 RBI. Was Baines with the Orioles at that point still? I think he was with the White Sox. The White Sox? Yeah. yeah okay. uh, Frank Thomas in 2008. This is the big hurt we're talking about. 71 games, 248 and 30. Dealing with injuries, whatever. But he's 40. You expect that. Mike Piazza had a similar season in his tenure as the DH in was Oakland, in, I believe. Edgar Martinez is kind of like Kevin Durant calling Kristaps Porzingis a unicorn. This guy was just otherworldly. His 40th year on this planet and a year 40 in the major leagues, uh, when he was 40 years old, I should say, not the 40th year in the majors. Edgar was... Uh, 145 games, 294-24-98. That was in 2003. And just for you Yankee fans that forgot, he played 138 career games against the Yankees, batted 317 with 22 homers and 103 RBI. He was the Yankee killer, I think, before how much, or at the same time as Manny. How much of that unicornism, I think I just created a word. It's fine. Uh, has to do with the fact that he was – Look, look at the guys that are on that list. Chili Davis was an outfielder for a good chunk of his career before he became a DH. Hal McRae was an outfielder. Don Baylor was a first baseman outfielder. James Thome was a first baseman. Mm-hmm. 
Baines was mostly a DH. Mm-hmm. Mal- Ortiz mostly a DH. Thomas played first for a uh, long time. And I skipped somebody. Molitor played his position for a long time. Ebert was a DH for more than half of his career. I know he was a third baseman yeah. before that. But he was a strictly DH for more than half of his career. So that also might – his body may be a little less – that's Less true. broken down yeah, at that point a, than some a, of those guys. That's a tremendous point. But, see, this is this is what I don't get. And, you know, it's not because this is a Yankees, you know, the, the, the S Network or a Yankees podcast or what have you. But Alex Rodriguez was vilified for what he went through. Banned for a year from baseball. And to an extent, I mean, he's still vilified. Whereas David Ortiz did have a failed test in 2003. Nobody mentions it. Nobody brings it up. Nobody pitches inside to this guy. If you see his home run from, what was it, Friday night? The one he hit against yeah, Barbado? No, that was or the one Batances. He hit Batances, Friday night. Batances lost to Ortiz on his secondary pitch. And it was an outside slider curveball. You can't let that guy extend. You gotta bust him in. I just didn't get that. You know, watching the highlights, God Almighty. But where, where's all the, where's all the venom and the vitriol and, and all that nonsense for David Ortiz? And let me just throw this out at you. His first year in Boston was 2003. That was his first year with over 100 ribbies. It's also his seventh year in the league. His previous high was 75. He had 101 RBI in 03, 139 in 04, and 148 in 05. Before 03, he never hit more than 20 homers. After 03, he had 31, 04, 41, 05, 47, 06, 54. I, I, that's all I'm saying. All of that can't be attributed to the fact that Boston's right field is 302 feet down the line. I, I, they only played in one games there. Yeah. I'd have to see the splits, you know, where he hit the home runs. But I know no, listen, he was, what, 26, 27 when he joined the Red Sox? So that's right at the beginning of your prime. I, I moving to a hitter's park. And I should have prefaced yeah. it by saying I can't take away anything that the guy has done for the city because he's been a rock for Boston. No, absolutely. He has. And I can't take that away from him. All I, I just can't understand why, you know, he gets a pass. And they even talked about the the two guys that were banned for 80 games in Calabello and D. Gordon. D. Gordon, yep. And it didn't come up. And, you know, there was a play early on in the game where the Red Sox scored their first run. There was a ground ball of third. Headley, it looked like, had an opportunity to go home and get the runner, but instead went to first base. Didn't see a replay. Because ESPN had to show every freaking angle of David Ortiz stepping up to the plate. Drove me insane. We get it. David Ortiz is up. He's going to be up probably, God willing, another four or five times tonight. Can I see the replay? Can I see if Headley had a chance to get that guy going home? Can we do that? instead of starting the narrative that we're going to basically get on our knees and praise this guy for the rest of the broadcast, I, I just I, I don't know. And you look at all these numbers that I brought up. 
Molitor, Hall of Famer. 21 years as a 306 career hitter. So what he did his 40th year at yeah. 40 years of age at 305. Frank Thomas, first ballot Hall of Famer. First ballot Hall of Famer, Frank Thomas. But I don't know. It's just one of the things I took away from the game last night. National broadcast. You got to gotta play to the Nationals, I guess. <sighs> anyway, all right, let's do our thing. All right, yeah. I, I just did the divisions only because it was easier for me to figure out who should be where based on, like, okay, you know, if we put a team in Austin, how do we have to move everything around? So I'll let you go first. All right. Since it was well, your idea. I didn't do the divisions. I guess I, I forgot about it. But uh, I did do I, – I just said I did it only because it was easier for me. I did do the, the team names, and I predicted that Tampa Bay will stay in Tampa Bay and somehow they'll get a new stadium. So Montreal will be an expansion team. And uh, I also picked Austin. So Montreal, I would love to go back to the days of old and have the Expos come back with the ELB hat. Expositions Le Baseball? Yes, and it looks like an M, but it's really ELB. Google it, kids. Use the Google machine. Um, however, they do have the Jazz Fest in Montreal every year, and it would give the team some funky uniforms if they were the Montreal Jazz. Would they be purple and yellow like yes. the Utah Jazz? Yes, okay. but that, so the Jazz are the Expos. The Yaz. And just so you know, we, we got a lot of colorful responses from all of our fans out there who watch this. The on Montreal Moose. And um, actually got one from one of my old teachers in high school, Mr. Ruiz. Um, he said the Montreal Mounties. I kind of like that one. Would they nice. play the Mountie theme song from WWE before every game? Oh, Canada, the American National Anthem, and then I'm the Mountie. But, uh, but Kevin it, knows what I'm talking about behind, I know the, he behind does. the phone. So. But he, he, they would have to wear, you know the uniforms? It would be the, it, it'd be the official Mountie, Mountie uniform. It would be a red, red with numbers on the back. A red, a red blazer with the and sash. It, and instead of baseball hats, they'd have to wear that Mountie hat. That'd be awesome. They'd ride out to their position. So instead of a horses. bullpen car, they'd have a, a horse? Yes. Okay. See? I we're, like it. We're getting everything ready for you up in Montreal. Atlantic um, League, Can-Am League, we'll take royalties. Just saying. Uh, so the other team is Austin. And if you never heard of this, in Austin there's the Congress Avenue Bridge. And uh, every summer night, hundreds of people gather to see the world's largest urban bat colony. I never thought... Those three words, urban bat colony, would be uttered out of anyone's. That's almost like my cousin Tommy. We were trying to have a contest back in the day at one of our big Italian Thanksgivings. Um, and we were trying to come up with things that people never said before and will never say ever. And he won because he said, there are eels in my hovercraft. I don't think anybody has said that to this point until this podcast, until Tommy said it back then. That, but yeah. Urban Bat Colony. So there you go. That's, it might be my new rock band name. They are one. <laughs> Wait, there are eels in my hovercraft? No, or Urban, Urban Bat, Bat Colony. Colony. Oh, okay. Would totally be a great emo band. These, <laughs> these 1.5 million bats are fun to watch, but they're making the world a better place to live. So there you go. It sounds kind of like a minor league team, but the Austin Bats. I think that's Louis. Yeah, that is Louisville's. The Louisville Bats. Because they're but the, this, the Louisville Sluggers. But this, you know. Goes with the bats. Yeah, that's why, because it's Louisville Slugger, the Louisville Bats. God bless, bless you, Kevin. Uh, I went in a little different direction. I, I also chose Montreal. I also left Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay to get a new stadium. It's a huge city. People will care. Uh, I also put an expansion team in Tennessee. 
Tennessee. You could put it in Memphis. You could put it in Nashville. You could put it somewhere in between. Either way, it's Tennessee. Uh, my names were the Montreal Saints. Okay. Uh, Montreal is the city of Saints, so that would be like a it. local flavor, kind of like the jazz mm-hmm. festival. And the Tennessee Blues. Same thing. Yeah, the Nashville. Think of, think of all those headlines. <clears throat> They're singing the blues in Tennessee. Oh, well, you have, you, know, you have Nashville. You have uh, that old gag. Memphis is a hot music hotbed. Nashville, obviously, a country music hotbed. The blues is popular there. Why not? A couple of local flavor names. I like it. I mean, it's better than the Titans and the Predators and the Grizzlies yeah. or the other three teams they have in West Tennessee. So how did you fix the divisions? I see a so lot moved, of eraser marks. So I moved, uh, I moved Milwaukee back to the American League. Okay. I moved Arizona to the American League mm-hmm. because they were the easier AL West team to move. There's eight teams in the Pacific time zone, Arizona, Colorado. So four and four, one of them's got to move. Arizona's easier because a team playing with a DH full-time in cores would be like you and I playing a video game. Uh, and Tampa Bay moves to the NL because, well, they, they stink, so one less hitter is really not going to hurt them. Uh, and then you add both newcomers to the NL. So your new your West divisions would be Seattle, Oakland, the Angels, and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then the Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Rockies. Your AL East would be the Yankees, Boston, Baltimore, Toronto. You'd lose Tampa. The NL East, Montreal, the Mets, Philly, and Washington. Pretty mm-hmm. good cluster. Former, mm-hmm. you know, mates there. You have Montreal and Washington in the same division. Could be kind of fun. Uh, then the other two divisions would be the North and the South for the National League and the North and the Central for the AL. The uh, NL North is basically the NL Central minus Milwaukee, the Reds, Pirates, Cubs, Cardinals. In the South, the Braves, the Marlins, the Rays, and Tennessee. Tennessee. In the AL, again, the North is Cleveland, Milwaukee, Detroit, and the White Sox. And the Central, Texas, Houston, Kansas City, Minnesota. You take two teams from the West, two teams from the current Central, and make the the new Central. I got to say, I love it. Every team is, you know, it's geographically fair. Texas, Houston, KC, and Minnesota are all like this. Straight down, for the most part. Paul J. Miller is in Memphis watching, and he said, nice cards, minor league stadium here. The Memphis Redbirds. That's their double-A affiliate, I believe. But I'm sure it's nice. Boy, you got a prayer in Memphis. Thanks, Mark Cohn. Put on my blue suede shoes, and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues. Again, the the Tennessee Blues. In the middle of the pouring rain. They wouldn't play in the middle of the pouring rain unless they had a dome stadium in Memphis. Whoa. Maybe they could turn the pyramid into a baseball stadium. Get the top on the field. So Christopher Walken is now our new analyst? Yeah. No. Wow, it sounds just like the real person. No, no it said no one ever. Sounds like Brian Dale doing... Speaking of things you said no one has ever said until now. Jay Moore's impression. What? Oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. That. All right. I think that about does it because... We our, have reached the magic. Our, yeah, our, our camera person... Uh, extraordinaire Kevin's. What is your title, by the way? Uh, director of Digital Media. Director of Digital Media. I always like stammer and and stutter when I try to come up with, you know, what I know what the people do. I just don't know their official titles. We so, do everything, as evidenced by the fact that our director of digital media right. is standing behind his iPhone but, filming this. But right director now. of digital media is so much better and so much more professional than internet guru, which is what I said last week. Web guy, <laughs> web hey, guy, web guys. He's hey, the, web guy. He's the web guy. Spider Man. Spider Man. No, I, I listen. I, I just he's been standing here. 
for an hour, over an hour, to do this for us, and he's the one that suggested we do this in the studio. Uh, I want to thank Kevin Sullivan for spending the time and, and actually having us do this here. I want to thank everybody that watched today, especially all of my friends in South River, New Jersey, who popped in and out. Uh, Kim and Mike Tita, Matt Posnick, uh, that's all I saw off the top of my head. If I'm missing you, I apologize. In, everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It just goes to show that a close, tight-knit community like South River, we stick together. Drew Pearson, Joe Theismann. Uh, Elmer Stout, Alex Wojciechowicz, one of the seven blocks of granite at Fordham, and he's in the Eagles' ring of fame, by the way. Sure is. Um, all from South River, along with yours truly. And i got to say that I appreciate the support from all of you, but especially from my people back home. And one more thing. I am wearing my Rowan University sweatshirt today because, you know, it's not that cold in here today. I no, it's, a, it's usually, I, I, yeah. I bring a sweatshirt. It's not cold. See? Pew, tangent. Pew. Josh Popper, a linebacker from Rowan University, was invited to Arizona Cardinals minicamp. So this is in honor of Mr. Popper. So good luck to So Josh. do I get to give props to the three Temple players who were drafted, plus Robbie Anderson, who was a free agent signing of the Jets sure. after the draft? Sure, alma mater. So there you go. Temple had one of the best seasons in program history it this did. year. It's not uh, going to shake a stick at. Rich Bird <clears throat> played at Temple yep. from South River. Tyler, uh, Tyler Matikavich, the heart and soul of that defense, was mm -hmm. drafted in the seventh round by Pittsburgh. Um, two other players, Matt Ioannidis and one other, were drafted earlier in the draft. Like I said, Robbie Anderson, wide receiver, was uh, signed by the Jets as an undrafted free agent post-draft. Uh, post mm -hmm. So he'll be there. He's, he's electrifying. Jets fans, if he can make a... If you can make a bid for a roster spot, maybe stick around until the preseason. You'll uh, you'll like what you see out of Robbie. He's a uh, four to eight forty, I believe. It's an so. hour and ten minutes. I, I think we have to let Kevin sit down. What's the uh, what's what's the battery power at? Yes, yeah, the, the battery power is at less than ten percent. The Lou DePietro, Lou DePietro, yes on Twitter. Chris Sheeran, yes on Twitter. Go to our Facebook page, The Chris Sheeran Show. Just type it into the search. Chuck us a like. We'll see you what Thursday. Thursday. Thursday, same bat time, same bat channel. Peace.